Well, I was very excited this week in, in our Slack channel, which you can join if you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash Slack. You know, recently I tried to log into a bunch of Slacks because we got logged out, and that experience is still fucked up. Like, I just really don't understand why they don't. And maybe they do, and I just can't find it, which makes it even more fucked up. It's just like, I just want, just let's just be like everyone else. I want a login name. I can use my email address. I think we're all over that. 15 years ago, we were like, this is terrible and corrupting the youth. But now it's what we do and a password. That's all I want. Just let me log in with that. Use SSO. Talk to Brandon. He knows all about that. Anyways, I was happy to see in our Slack that uh, I think I think big fan. Uh, how do you say his last name? It's embarrassing. Michael Neal. Michael Neal's. I'm even screwing that up. I'm, Michael Neal. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, he's he's on a two week tour of America or the states, as we say when we're not here. Uh, and he was commenting on. He was like, I think I'm not quoting him, but he was something like, you know, I've heard. I've heard that ice is a big deal, but I'm here in the hotels and ice <laughs> is a really big deal. There is ice everywhere. And they, I'm here. Everywhere. I'm here at the downtown Des Moines uh, Marriott, you know, fine place. And uh, they have an old school ice machine on every single floor, I have to presume. And it's just it's just fantastic. You just go you hear it. You hear it tinkling and water going down there and you go up and there's this big button that is basically just all but saying, just press me. And you press the button, and ice just falls out of it like Niagara Falls. And they even do they give ice. you an extra bucket when you checked in? Oh, you know that's a good idea. I should I should say like send up three ice buckets, no questions. Leave it at the door. <laughs> okay, okay. As, as someone who's lived in Europe for a while now, I want your take on like, do you look like I look at ice? I look at that as like fantastic. I love. Mm-hmm. I just think ice and drinks, water, whatever. It's just I don't know. It's make. I just to me it makes it a lot better. But now that you've been away yeah. for a while. You know, you've sort of. Uh, the expat life for a while. Do you come back and look at it like this doesn't make any sense? It's totally stupid. We don't need ice. Or is it an enjoyable little treat for you? Are you fucking kidding me? It's the best. Like, no, it's it's uh, it's it's like I don't know what a necessary luxury is, but it's like a necessary luxury. It's like we don't as Europe has proven that we don't need ice to be prosperous. But like, you know, why are you denying yourself ice? Like, it just seems like it just seems like I don't know. Maybe it was after the war, but Europe just became like decadence with negligence of pleasure. And and, and like that, that pleasure should just be like, just have ice. Right. Like, I mean, I, let me correct myself. I think they steered their way into, uh, you know, one of my theories I, I've mentioned several times is like and I don't mean this in a disparaging way at all is I feel like us Americans uh, will look at the state of Europe and we'll be like, oh, they work four days a week. Like they don't, they don't, they, they, when they go on holiday, they don't answer emails. And I feel like the Europeans have been like, yeah, we, we figured it out. Like we're done. Right. Like it's, it's time to, we don't need to, we're finished. Everything's cool. We fought a war over this. Yeah. And so I think that part they have figured out, but it's like, for fuck's sake, you don't have to work five days a week to have ice machines. Like you could just have ice. Like, all right, well, let me ask you to do it. This was something else was sort of making its way around. I don't know if it was a meme or just, I don't know. It's one of these things where uh, many European, uh, many Americans obviously like to go to Europe, especially in the summers. And one mm-hmm. thing that came back is like, Americans feel like everybody in Europe is thirsty because, you know, in the United mm-hmm. States, it is very common. Uh, I remember talking for, about that. For people to have a lot of water bottles, you know, yeah. there's a million kinds. There's uh, And there's even bottled water and things like that. So what about that? Where do you come down on that? Like, are Americans just oh. sort of like... Uh, I, I don't know. Is water become like this consumer thing that we just buy, or the cup yeah, we like to buy yeah. the tumblers, and we don't really need to drink as much water? Or is Europe, or is it just like, hey, they just they should drink more water too? 
you know, I don't know the science. So let me give you an answer, uh, which is, yeah, the, one of the first things I noticed, and I do notice when I when I come back here is like, I look around and I'm like, what's wrong with everyone's cup around here? Like, and, and it's always like that big, like someone's lugging around, like, I got to have my water, got to stay yeah. hydrated. Like the Stanley they're, they're Tumblr is like the, the latest one. This is big. Yeah. And, uh-huh. and like, I, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't know the science, but I feel like that's not necessary. I'm I'm not sure. It's probably one of those things where like, you know, out of 50 things you could be doing to make your life better, that's number 49, right? Like, and, and like, instead the other things, right? Like, well, like, you, like ice, maybe if I you think, had I think ice. the reason is it's cheap. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the, the, the quality of life things are, are the, the fast and cheap. You know, it's like, you know what we can do? We can give you two cents more of soda, charge you 40 cents, and you'll feel like a king, right? Yeah. And, now, and, and so yeah. you've upgraded from like the big gulp to the super big gulp. And oh, I, I don't I don't mean at a restaurant. I mean, definitely. no, 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 no. I, I just mean it's like the path of least resistance. They're like, look, yeah. we got to give these people something. They need better circuses, right? And yeah. Or, but, this is, but if we limit this just to water, I, that's the part I guess I'm interested in. Forget about yeah, other, yeah. So, yeah. so, like, so what I'm what I'm commenting like, on is something is, that's different. Like somebody's yeah. wrong here. Someone's drinking too much water. Either what I'm commenting on is that or the very not enough. As as far as I can tell, there's a very American phenomena of like I got to have my big ass water bottle with me all the time, right? right? Like you know, and I and and I and like when my mom came over, she brought four big ass water bottles. Right. That like have these levels on it. That's like, good job. Keep drinking. Like, you know, it's your personal hydration coach. And right. like, that's not it's, really it's better than socialized medicine. Yeah. That's not really like a thing in Europe. People don't run around with like big ass fucking self-medicating jugs of water, which like now that said, like there are Germans who have those giant steins. So I think maybe right. what's happened is like maybe there's some catching up to do post World War II where we're like, oh man, like those cars and MRI machines. Uh, like maybe I should start using a big mug. Like I was, I got a, I was at the hospital, uh, you know, for for some reasons recently, and and I noticed that the MRI machine they had was a Siemens one instead of a Philips. And I don't know, maybe they should probably notify the the, the Netherlands government <laughs> about that. But just to tie this off, then Cote, I think I think the two things that you've brought up or we discussed here are related. Because Europe doesn't have ice, they don't have that beautiful ice, cold glass of ice water that when you're walking around. And it's like, if I carried around a bottle of hot water, that would be a total waste. But in a long European vacation, while I'm uh, seeing all the great sights uh, with no air conditioning around, you know what Uh I probably Uh would take? A nice glass of ice water with me. So maybe that's great. I think you nailed it. I don't think you can have a culture of over water indulgence unless you also have a culture of ice because you don't want a bunch of you don't want 64 ounces or like two liters of tepid water that you feel like you have to drink every day uh so you know right, I, so it's, it's on in europe give us some yeah. ice so we can all start bringing our water bottles to europe you know and i can't quote them exactly but it's like uh, it's like a mortem joe said you know don't let yourself get addicted to water it's it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a bad bad avenue well speaking of getting addicted to water uh it looks like uh, maybe America's DVD addiction is finally coming to an end because I think, <laughs> was it September 15th or sometime in September, Netflix is going to just stop sending out the DVDs. And I think, I think in a, uh, 
in 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 what I will hopefully remember for a long time because it's just a great. This has to have been an executive decision. I bet they were. This is this is this would be like Brandon's dream meeting. So they they've decided they're going to have an end date for shipping the DVDs, and uh, the the staff has spent about uh, a week discussing what they're going to do to handle the the inflow of no DVDs, how they dispose of them. They don't want them anymore. How are we going to control the costs? And the uh, some some like aloof executive breezes in, and they're just like, "What are we talking about?" Just tell them to keep the DVDs and then leaves. And then so like, hence Netflix is like, keep the DVDs, which is just like the best, uh, you know, omni-channel hack ever. It's just like having a problem with curbside returns, just tell them to keep it. Keep right? it. Like you, you don't need to deal with it. But it's, yeah, no, it's, the, uh, it's the end of an era. I think, I was say, I think that's, that's the part I thought was kind of interesting about it is like, so I think it's a roughly 20 years, maybe it's a little bit longer than Netflix has been around, but like they, this is like, you know, we talked so much about strategy on the show. It's like, this does seem like the people, uh, what Reed Hastings, other sat down, wrote this strategy memo. It was like, first we'll start with DVDs. We'll build that business. And then that business profits will fund our uh, online streaming service. And then we'll, uh, license movies using that money. We'll go license a bunch of movies from people that want to uh, give it to us and they'll do it because they need some extra income. And then those profits we'll use to make our own movies and TVs. And eventually we won't need the, the, the DVD business, nor will we need the actual studios doing it. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I don't know, I mean, over 20 years, like the core insight in business, I think they generally had it right at the beginning and they generally stayed to the strategy. I guess the only thing that maybe recently they did for a long time, they said no ads, I think, and they kind of mm-hmm. relented on that. So there's an ad tier now that seems kind of a minor change. So I don't know, Matt, what do you think? Was this uh Start to finish a well-executed strategy, or was it just I don't know dumb luck? I, I think that might be a little bit of retconning it. Um, I, I I'm not sure that they caught the whole like streaming, and we'll you know we'll take advantage of everybody else not having streaming and get all their catalogs, and then we'll have to make our mm-hmm. own stuff because they take away the content from us. <clears throat> I think I think probably in the early days it, the the business plan didn't extend past like. 180 days you're right they were probably like look we're gonna ship a bunch sure. of dvds and you know we're gonna make some oh, money they didn't even have the, the I, video i, on I think the streaming but- i think the streaming kind of kicked in like after the business had already started i'm, I'm okay. my my understanding of it is like they saw like maybe youtube a real player you know something in there like sparked that idea but they were already like mailing dvds mm-hmm. you know and mm-hmm. and so Somebody correct us, you know, tell, tell Brandon which business book to read. But uh, I, 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 think, <laughs> I think this is, <laughs> I, I think it's, it would be a, an amazing story if they were like, check it out. 20 years, we're going to tell them, keep your fucking DVDs. Yeah. yeah. That would have yeah, now, now, if the memo had ended on that and when we're done with the DVD business, we tell them to keep it. That would be un- yes, unbelievable. Exactly. I do think, I've not read the whole thing, but I think Reed Hastings, I, you know, this is the whole thing, though. It's like truth first legend. I believe he, because I think the story is he started a tech company, sold it, and then they did get into this idea and they had this like really long term vision of doing it. Now, again, I like, I wasn't there. I, you know, who knows what the truth is, but I think that's the story. I don't know, Kote, what do you think? Well, yeah. I mean, I recall hearing something. I think it's more or less matches what Matt was saying that early on they're like, oh, yeah, we should do streaming. It just doesn't work at this point. Like it's not, it's not good enough. Despite- well, I mean, they, they were definitely 
super early and aggressive yeah. on streaming before anybody was ready for it. I, I and mean, also, also real player and point cast. Was it point cast? <laughs> the one that was like a screensaver that was, yeah, that was even earlier though. No, that was like, yeah. Yeah. Early, early. Early. Yeah. And and I mean, then but, and then that's that's how Mark Cuban made all his money, right? Selling like some uh, video thing, radio, broadcasting radio. Uh, what was at the time radio of sports, uh, sports game, uh, sports. Any, uh, yeah, Indiana. Yeah. That was that was that was a weird time in retrospect, or not? Whatever, it was fine. But you know, when I was reading the story, it did it did make me realize. You know, one of the things I'm always complaining about is like if you with a company like Netflix, if you get too obsessed about them being like a super high growth company you kind of like miss the forest for the trees. There's an idiom I don't use enough in that like, oh yeah, Netflix is failing. And yet here it is. Like it's still here. <laughs> like they've established themselves as a, as a very rare thing, like a multi-decade cat, you know, major cat, major company in their category that is still alive and kicking and doing well. So like, I don't know, even if they don't have 45% growth, I don't even know what it is. Like every quarter, it's kind of like, yeah, but that's not what they're doing. Maybe yeah, they well, do have that growth. The but, thing about yeah. it is kind of interesting. I guess the points that we can say. So where did they maybe go off? Where did they miss? It's sort of like, at least for a long time, I think they wanted everyone to believe that like, you know, the potential, uh, the TAM, if you will, total addressable market or viewers was, you know, a couple billion people, right? Like around the, around mm-hmm. the world. And it seems like where it's capped out is around 200 million. It's not that they're not growing, but they're not growing at a rate that is like, they're going to get to a billion anytime soon. So that seems to be now I think going into it, like nobody knew. Right. So that's always kind of the thing, but like, you know, the idea yeah. that it could be super, super like, and maybe, I don't know, maybe in another 20 years, it will be a billion. So you would say that's certainly kept their valuation down. Right. Cause it was like, Oh, it turns out 200, 250 million people. That's as much, as much as we can go. And the other thing I guess is more recently, you know, they're searching for growth. And then they had that whole announcement about games. And I've just been super, you know, this is where it's like, hmm, yeah, yeah. Reed Hastings retires. And then someone's like, we should do games. I'm like, uh-oh, this doesn't seem like a good idea. I'm not sure <laughs> this is going to work. So, yeah. uh, well, maybe mean, they could pick up the, the Stadia business from Google on the cheap, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and really, really inject some expertise into there. Like, that's uh, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, you, you know, it, it is, it's making me think, you know, this is the kind of thing you'd need like a Horace Deju or, 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 you know, Ben Thompson wouldn't be able to spend enough time on this, but like that, that, that era when all these like little startups were going to come in and like destroy the existing businesses, I'm not sure that really like happened like at mass scale, right? In the same way, in comparison, when Walmart came in, I think they totally murdered all the small, you know, retail companies in, in the eighties and the nineties, right. It's just like gone Uh, versus like, you know, as, as if you look in the entertainment area, like all most, many of the things are still there. There's been consolidation and this, that, and the other. And I guess there's like Disney is in some, has some issues, but it's like, it's not all just Netflix. Like Netflix has now become kind of like, at least in my view, kind of just like another, another source of its own proprietary content Net- mm-hmm. which so if i want netflix content i gotta have netflix if i want disney stuff right. i gotta disney blah 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 and similarly like i don't know when i look at like banking like i think technology has made them better but hasn't destroyed them i mean what's really hurt banking over the past 15 years is banking like <laughs> like it hasn't really bad, been bad loans turns out bad yeah. loans with technology are still it's just money. like no it's, it's was, a people problem what what was lowercase disruptive was your own fucked up business right like not not really like all these software companies and 
And in, in fact, like now the issue is like, is like the, the, it's not cause and effect, but like what was happening there? Like you could say the banks reacted appropriately to freaking out and they adapted and they're good enough that they, they retain people, right? Like the difference between like, you know, I, I use like some of these fintech banks and like, they're just banks. Like their software looks kind of cool. And they have those, the clip art figures where you've got big bulbous bodies and tiny heads and stuff, but like, <laughs> that's about it. But and, you know, and, you can kind of bring this back to Netflix, right? Because it's kind of flipping around. It's like, you know, for a long time out of the Netflix came a lot of cool technology, a lot of open source projects, mm. a lot of, you know, you know, yeah. a whole bunch of stuff. But in the end, you know, I guess that was kind of an ongoing, you know, we, we probably all gave that speech like about digital transformation, like maybe five, 10 years ago about, oh, you know, they're so far ahead. They're going to take it. What are you going to do? But it turned out like Disney and I mean, all the other services, like maybe they're not as good as Netflix. You know, you can kind of debate that, but they're all pretty decent. Like they all stream videos. You know what I mean? They all work. So the idea that um, like, let's just take Disney because it seems like the most obvious competitor is like, no, once Disney kind of decided they wanted to do it, like they made it work pretty fast. So that idea that, that the uh, technology company couldn't, or the older company yeah. can catch up kind of to your point about banks is like, no, it actually, they caught up pretty quick. And I don't think, it, I don't think technology is the reason um, Disney or any of these services will succeed or fail. They kind of all figured it out. Now they may not have the right content. They may not have the right price point, but technology seems like it's generally pretty equal amongst all these services at this point. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah. And, and, and it's, it's like at this, I don't know, may, may, maybe to close it out, it's sort of like, like you were saying, Brandon, like we, we, it's not quite like public cloud companies where if someone were to tell us three, they're like, oh, we're going to enter the public cloud market now, right? Like if one of the big hardware manufacturers went in there, you'd be like, obviously you don't read Charles Fitzgerald and everyone else, right? You're, right. you're fucked, right? Like you just, you can't. Uh, but like, well, also maybe because of public cloud companies, like someone like a Disney can come in and be like, oh, watch this, boop, and just like build the yeah. infrastructure, right? And then they also have... <clears throat> whatever it is the the ability to like take a couple of years to figure it out. And then once you, once everyone has the access to the same dumb pipes, like then what matters is content, right? Like, you know, the only people who watch Netflix in my house are my kids. Cause they have stuff. My kids want to watch. Like I never watch Netflix. I look in there and it's a bunch of garbage. Uh, whereas <laughs> like, you know, I watch the other shows when I have time or I watch little advice about how to uh, run goblins and dungeons and dragons. That's, that's good, good entertainment right there. Well, speaking of running goblins, there's uh, you know, in our ongoing saga of uh, should we work at home or work in an office? It looks like, I don't know. I mean, I mean, you two give me the sense of this, but I think over the past couple of weeks, I've heard some things here and there and seen things that I feel like it's even more confusing than it used to be. I, I think I think no one really knows anything about the value of working at home or working in the office. You got over here, you got the Matt Mullenwegs who are like, we're always remote, man. And it's totally cool if you if you work in a remote way. And then over here, apparently, you've got the Zoom CEO who's like, get your ass in the office all the time. Or or the Amazon people is, I think, uh, I forget if, y'all, if, if we covered this recently as another podcast who was like, what was the wording? Uh, if you don't start coming into the office, it's hmm. not going to work out for it's you. It's not going to work which but I, I do think, think uh, that um, was not HR approved. Uh, yeah, I think verbiage, Zoom I think. and Metado are like interesting, like kind of like an interesting look at this because, you know, Zoom's entire value proposition is predicated on, you know, essentially doing online meetings and, you know, Zoom Being is basically remote. a stand-in yeah. for doing things there. So I think that was really interesting to see them come out and say, no, no, you really need to be. I think they're doing two days a week. And mm. then on uh, Meta, 
of course, are friends of Facebook, but like Meta, um, and if you think about how much money they put into the idea around the metaverse and the different headsets and all of that, and kind of like talking about how this is all going to work, the fact that they have also been very much like, hey, you need to come back in the office. Like, I think just sort of like, I don't know exactly how to characterize this, but there's something about, it's like the opposite of like, you know, people always say, don't just build a product that you love, you know, and, and mm-hmm. mistake that you're the the market for it. But the inverse of that is like when companies are building products <laughs> that even within the same company, people don't like, this actually happens more than you think. Like a company builds a product, but everybody hates the product and doesn't want to use it. And that's like a really like inverse sign of like, maybe you don't have product market fit because even the people we pay to use it don't want to use it. So I think it's kind of an interesting indictment about both the metaverse and to a less extent, Zoom. It's just like, well, it's kind of an admission. I think in the case of the metaverse, like are there like 400 people at Facebook that love the metaverse that meet it in every day that wear it six hours a day. And that's how they do their job. And, and they're, they're like, why would we ever come in the office? We figured it out. Like probably not. Right. And the same thing at zoom. It's like, I guess they're just saying, it's like, yeah, being on zoom eight hours a day is just too much. You could do maybe two hours a day, but otherwise you got to be here. So I don't know. It's just, I always just think of this as like, and probably people can think about their own companies. It's like, there's probably something in your company that you produce that everyone doesn't really like, but like no one can say that out loud. I don't know. It's just something mm-hmm. that I, I see that happens. So there's not the only two instances of it, but these are, I think, just two examples that popped out. What do you think, Matt? Well, I mean, what, when, when you were kind of talking about that, I was thinking about uh, open source projects and how, you know, usually, usually there's, <clears throat> a, a, you know, obvious ex- exceptions. Usually it's like a labor of love that got it started. You know, somebody was passionate yeah. about something and they're like, you know, I'm going to solve my problem and I'm, I want to share this with other folks. And I was kind of, you know, thinking back to like, you know, when I worked at chef, you know, like I use chef on my home stuff. You know, I, I was like really into, you know, to, to that kind of stuff. And, you know, but other places, um, you know, I, I don't have to pay my own cloud bills here. So, yeah. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's hard to, to, you know, uh, ha- you know, use it for personal stuff, but, um, you know, there, there wasn't like the attachment to it. And so, yes, you would think like, if I'm on that meta team, that's, you know, trying to keep the, the metaverse alive for, you know, uh, forever, you're like, you know, I'm going to be in that headset and the, you know, the cubicle next to the other guy in the headset, and we're going to have our you know meetings in the metaverse. Right. Or, but mm. probably not, right? Probably they're like, you know, this just isn't working. Let's just go back to the office. And and it's it's a it's a uh, admission of failure. Um, if if you you know, I mean, you, you've got the the quote from uh, the the Zoom CEO who who thinks that uh, Zoom sucks for building trust. <laughs> it's <laughs> like, you know, well, yeah, um, maybe you know, may, maybe. Um, the tools are wrong because I'm not ready to give up on work from home, but uh, you know, there, there's definitely, there's definitely something missing in, in those products. And um, I, I don't really know though. We're, we're definitely in a, like a, a, a whiplash about the whole work from home movement because, you know, there was the whole, Oh, everyone's got to go back to the office. And then what was that? Nine months ago, six months. Yeah. A year ago, that that movement started. Like you know, COVID's over. People go back to the office. You know, we spent a lot of money on this round building, and you know, people started going back to the office, and people left, and then managers were like, you know, this doesn't really work that great, and people continued to complain, and 
you know, maybe maybe some people successfully pushed back. You had the the quiet quitting and whatnot. But I feel now, you know, those of us who have been working from home, who've, you know, mostly sorted it out, like don't really want to go to the office. Um, I don't know. It's just a weird point because there's, you know, uh, I think those are these two places. That's why I think these like jump out at me. It's sort of like here are two companies that have products that the value proposition is basically remote, right? But like what it is sort of uncovering, and it's always like people are just unwilling to dig a little bit deeper because I would actually say both these products like it actually work fine. You can actually communicate quite a bit effectively using probably either I haven't used the metaverse as much, so I shouldn't say that, but certainly Zoom and all these other things, it makes sense. But like what it's highlighting, and I think this is the part that's like much more interesting is like, wait a minute, even if you can do the communication and it works pretty well, there is at least a whole other set of reasons that people don't like it, right? Mm. Certainly from a management perspective about like, whether it be like we've invested in real estate, we need to use it. Versus like, if I just can't see you, even though I'm, I just, if I don't see you, I don't, I'm worried that you're not working or you're not doing something. Right. And it's all these other things that aren't le- or less about communication. I think that's kind of what we're learning. Right. Is that, and then of course we're getting into like all these different roles within companies are very different. Some are much more suited to be completely remote versus in person. Right. Um, and it's like, but like, I think we're just like, I don't know. I, maybe we're just not at a point where like the discourse is like kind of caught up. It's like, Oh, it turns out. Being in person, even if you can communicate, there's actually all these other things. But like, I don't I haven't seen someone like enumerate them and kind of call them out. What do you think, Kote? Well, first of all, there must be a Forrester Consulting TEI study that Zoom has commissioned <laughs> that shows Almost the uh, total economic impact. Uh, so they could refer to that since they've uh, you know done that work. They can they can use John Legion to get a copy of it uh, if if they need to. And like, you know, you were making me think, Matt, that uh, you really got to get like a Bain or a McKinsey in there and just like, and you wouldn't really need this, but like, there should be a study that's kind of like the the Dora reports, right? So at some point, the Dora people figured out how to do that. Like, I, you know, the more I try to use it, I don't understand it. They, they, they tranche out or tranche out the, uh, the low performers to high performers or whatever, and then I don't think I ever saw how they do this. Maybe there's a, a ACM uh, article on it or something. But then they attribute like company success based on shareholder value or revenue to, to those tranches. And like, hey, the more DevOps you do, who knew? The, the more the more your company <laughs> well, uh, succeeds. The, and so like you know. it, it would be of all these companies that in the tech world that we kind of make fun of or mention having returned to work stuff, like if we were to look at their their share price value is the implication that like it could be 1.2 to 10% higher if everyone was in the office. Like, no, right. Like it seems like they're all doing fine. I want to jump in. Like, I think this is the, like, I think this is where people are getting caught up is like, I would just submit this as like, you can definitely be very successful in a remote only company. There are numerous examples of where it has happened. Right. And I think what happens, especially in tech companies where everyone has been trained to be so data driven, Right. And like just what you were doing, like what's the RO analysis? What's the TEI? And I think it misses the, the broader point. It's like, no, no, no. Some people, per, there is a strong preference, mostly mm. often in leadership, of like being in person. And like, totally. if people would just say that and be like, no, 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 I'm not making a data driven argument here. I'm just saying that like, I prefer that we do right, this right, right. this way. This is the way I want it. And I think that is what's completely nice. And then I think what's more interesting, it's almost like a therapy, a corporate therapy session. It's like, well, tell me more. Why do you want 
to be in person. And then you can start to get <laughs> Don't into- Don't make me explain and, myself. You know, so then you can get to the real things. It's like, cause like, I fear that people aren't working. Like, I think an answer could be like, for just like some standing CEOs, I fear people aren't working and I'm not doing a good job and the company's going to lose money because I can't see them. And then, you know, you oh. could have the next therapy question of like, well, like, is that a founded fear? Like, do we see, you know what I mean? Like, that's where we're getting to. That, that, first, that, like, that would be you know, that. Well, first of all, that's that's where I was meandering towards, like, uh, without really thinking about it. But like, I agree completely. Right. The whole point of getting the uh, the studies in there is to be like, there's no there's no correlate. There's no relationship well, between these two things. And and then but also that would be wonderful to have that like uh, corporate therapy CEO moment. Like if, if we could all do it in a in in the spirit of a safe space and therapy, like the CEO, like because because there's two parts to what you're saying in this theoretical CEO uh, therapy session. One, uh, I if I can't see people, I can't manage them. Right. We don't like that. That's that's bad. Right. Like. But I think the second part is where you flip it around and you build up empathy for the CEO and you're like, and therefore I feel like I am doing a bad job. And so right. I think what exactly. we have to do, workers of the world, is we have to go to capital and be like, it's OK, capital, you can do a good job. Right. Like you don't have to do this stuff. We can all work together. You can feel good about yourself. Let's let's practice. Right. Let's let's come into the office zero days a week and just see how that works out. And, well, and well, it'll be fine. We need we need Dora to, to show up in their 2024 uh, report oh, yes. with the question. Yeah. You know, yeah. Where are the where are the high performers? Are they at home or are they at work? Yeah. And, um, and you know, I, I think I think on this topic, but before we leave it, I want to I want to highlight something that I think you unknowingly came up with, Matt. You figured you cracked the metaverse uh, like problem when you talked about two people being in cubicles next to each other is the metaverse is it works if you're having a land party. Like, I think maybe <laughs> that is what what the metaverse is destined for is like it's a it's a it's a micro cosmic metaverse, right, where you're all in one office. And if you do like a land party for it, it's going to be cool. That's that's what it's uh, I, I think people need to experiment with with that to see if it, it works out well. Now, the other thing uh, we have an ongoing uh, ongoing figuring out uh, if if open source is a, a good business model uh, going on. <laughs> that's, that's every episode. I know, I, but but there's, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, I think, um, what's his name? It, it's 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 the dude who's got three names that writes about open source stuff all the time with the beard and the glasses. He had he had a, a good piece in uh, in the register, just kind of coming at it from a different angle of that 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 I think I think Matt Ray is often talking about this, but that I I don't really think about too much in this uh, open source business stuff is like, well, how about the community, right? Like if you're com- if you're if individuals and people in the community are like putting all of this, uh, this care into this previously open source thing, and then you like blatantly commercialize it some more, like that doesn't seem cool. And then it also kind of like takes away uh, trust in, in, in the community, which, which is totally valid, but it was like, I, I think, I think uh, uh, another thing worth contemplating is like, well, what inevitably happens here is uh, you know, you fork the project, right? Like I think the, uh, what is it? The 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 open TF people like mm-hmm. uh, are, are forking, Terra, forking Terraform and all that. And it was making me think between the three of us. If we if someone were to ask us, does forking a project work? And of course, the answer to the question depends on what you mean by work. Yeah. But whatever. Let's just use the most easiest to answer meaning of it. Like like it is something worth pondering. And, and my answer would be yes. 
<laughs> like, like I think in general, if if you with, are part with of the a, rising intonation of a question, I like that. Yeah, yeah, but yes. but with, with with the following qualification that if you are if you are looking to fork a large, widely used community, there probably is a good chance that it will be successful, or or that it won't just be totally dumb, right? And like, right. you know, I was thinking through it, and and like the the I don't know if you would call Linux distros a fork. That was a different type of thing. But, you know, you've got that situation going on. And then there was the uh, the Hudson forked into Jenkins, and that definitely yeah. worked. And then, and then you know, you've got, uh, you had uh, uh, Adam oh. was like, I, I'm sick of Luke. I'm going to fork fork out chef from puppet oh, which wow. again is that's gonna be a whole other fork right there yeah. which which is which is not a fork but it was like a community fork it was like right. i could be part of this community and like work on it or not i'm gonna go off and do this thing because like it's not working out this way right and the, the, the yes the community didn't work right? exactly and so like I mean, if you narrowly look at just forking source code, then like, I don't know, it's not very interesting. to All me. Right, but but okay, I want to throw out, I, I feel like here's the three steps, I think, for the successful fork. Okay, so you're upset at the project, you've decided to fork. So step one, yeah. build, you know, you, you grab the fork, right? You get it going. Mm-hmm. Step two is you put it in the foundation, right? You're like, you're going to set it up, probably the Linux foundation or CNCF or whatever. Find someone that you think is reputable, come up with uh-huh, some uh-huh. objective board, and then I think this is the third part is then you go immediately to AWS, GCP, or Niger, or hopefully you get contributors from each one of them and you get them to start adopting your new project, right? Because then yeah, you have yeah. the aligned interests. Like you make sure that those three are using it. So none of them, they'll all want to be at parity, right? Two, they will probably actually pay some people to work on it and they'll actually like the fact that it isn't, you know, um, trying to license won't change. And then the uh-huh, community uh-huh. can continue to put whatever effort they want into it and they can continue to use it on premise or in their own products, whatever, right? And they can kind of do what they want. So I think that's the third part. I think to be yeah. successful, you want kind of this, uh, I don't know if it's like prisoner's dilemma or just sort of like, uh-huh. tragedy of the commons kind of thing is you want those three and it could be others right you could throw oracle in there as well you want them all like committed to using it and then it's like then the original if you will commercial company will find themselves in a difficult position so that's right me, right follow those steps so we'll see and, and, and just to quickly finish off so open tf yeah. i think it's done the first two right it says the newly minted foundation has over what thirty two thousand github stars and 100 companies 10 projects and 400 individuals um, and has clear objectives. So check, check. They got the, the they've did yeah. the fork, they got the foundation, they got it. But what they don't have in this article, none of the big three have come in. None of the big anything. I'm, I'm looking through the list. And I mean, I, you know, obviously I'm at a startup and I don't want to disrespect the startups, but like <laughs> there's not, you know, there's not even like <clears throat> an HP or a Cisco in here. So you, what you see is like. Oh, you got to have a Cisco. Come on. Well, or a NetApp? I, yeah. Not, not, nothing. Nothing, nothing with the stock listed. Mm. Agree. Yeah, no, so, that's what they have to do. So this is where that group, like I would almost say like as important as like getting all the other stuff going is like somebody's got to be reaching out to the the people yeah, at, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, hey, you, you got to want you on board, right? Like we want well, you to, but, to but, but the thing about those companies, the thing about those companies is they probably have partnerships with HashiCorp that they don't want to mess with. Yeah. And, you know, they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We don't want this in our biz dev channel. Let's just tap the brakes and wait till we have to deal with this, right? Because yeah. you can sit on your hands for 
two years and I bet the landscape hasn't changed significantly. Yeah, I, 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 I think I think you both you both are hitting on it is and this is why I'm more interested in what I, what I call the community fork, which is all the other stuff, which, yeah. you know, as, as you both have said, the uh, whether you want to call it the channel partnerships, alliances or biz dev, like you got to get out and start doing that to build up your your stuff. And like, you know, uh, based on the Kubernetes documentary, that was a critical thing, because, again, not code wise, but sort of like and share of wallet is the wrong thing, too. But let's call it share of keyboard or share of configuration or something like, you know, what Kubernetes was looking to do was like uh, mess up AWS. Right. So instead of just <laughs> submitting to the, to the dominance of AWS's uh, like infrastructure API as, as unless I'm making this up as they pretty much explicitly say in part one of the wonderful documentary, we were like, no, right. Like we needed to do something. And so they, yes. they kind of forked you, this infrastructure empire. and then, and then they, I think, I forget if it's Craig or Joe or all of them, but they're like, yeah. And then so we started traveling around and doing what Brandon was saying, like talking to these people, trying to build yeah. up the alliance. And then finally, you know, what's his face famous guy that I should probably know over at Red Hat was like, oh, yeah, then we decided to do it. And then there you go. Right. Like it, it kind of builds up enough momentum. And arguably, if you were to look at like market share, I'm not sure if like marketplace fork, it's like done, but it's definitely survived more than survived and thrived as far as it's been a successful fork of 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 that uh that yeah so i think you're exactly right and i think so if you're the open tf like you got to go find uh just like the person red hat was doing some contributions like you got to look at your 400 individuals and be like does anyone have a google address does anyone have a (laughs) address anyone have uh can can anybody yeah who who's the one over there that loves it and is like contributing and you and you're like using your gmail address and step up with the corporate (laughs) yeah it's like we got to get you we got to get you uh and tell them if this goes well one day a documentary team is going to come to your office and have a beautiful background and they're going to interview you while you wear the open tf t-shirt so i think think that's that's going to be fantastic that's how you open the partner meeting is you're like, okay, before we talk, imagine, have you been practicing talking to someone at a 45 degree angle from where the camera is? Cause that's going to be your future. You're going to be doing, doing a lot of that and walking around in offices. Cause we're going to document the shit out of this in about five years. It's uh, also, do you have a dog that we can do some B roll? That would be the other question. Cause we're going <laughs> to need to get some B roll of your dog running around. So I think it should happen. I think it should be fantastic. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, you know, just as a small thing, uh, speaking of B-roll, I was looking through one of our uh, our uh, our PDFs recently here in Tanzu land. And and it, it was it was both like it was delightfully funny because I saw two of my uh, in one of the clip arts uh, at clip arts. I saw two of my former coworkers who long have not worked here. And uh, I was like, oh, yeah, many years ago, they must have gone around the office and taken pictures of people. And uh <laughs> And they're using those, but it was, uh, it's fun. That's, that's a nice little uh, thing you can do for yourself there. Well, speaking of nice little things that you can do for yourself, do we have any bureaucracy this episode, Brandon? Uh, just a couple of things. One, as always, if you'd like a sticker, just send your postal address to stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com. And I will be happy to send you a sticker anywhere in the world. Also, hopefully everyone uh, listened to the interview with Mike Long. It was, uh, I thought it was fun. Of course, you know, I did it. So, you know, there's a, you know, remember the source, but I will say it was great, make it through the whole thing. I asked him at the end, I said, Hey, what's something you really like uh, about your product that maybe people, you know, don't immediately see. And he went immediately to it. He said, well, you know, we added this export data feature and it's been really successful. And I was like, you're my people. I was like, Mike Long, you you were forever a software because <laughs> that wasn't planned. It wasn't like that. And uh, and and uh, I also noticed this week that Amazon QuickSight 
uh, at which product does. I honestly don't know exactly what it does, but I just saw this note. It was uh, add schedule and programmatic export to Excel format. So I'm just going to take this opportunity. I feel like export to CSV is like a hall of fame feature. Maybe this is going to go in like the 10 commandments of software defined talk. Like I don't care what you're building. Export to CSV. Yeah. No matter what you're doing, I'm just going to ask you, do you have export to CSV? Cause it is, uh, uh, great. And the fact that, um, uh, that even in this case, even the CEO of uh, a startup was like, yeah, this export to CSV is exactly what people want. So don't, let that be a lesson. If you're ever in a meeting and someone says, I don't, we don't have time for that, call me. I'll, I'll make time to, to join you very, via Zoom and give my long diatribe about why that feature for your product is uh, very important. So, uh, yeah. Um, so yeah. So send me email for stickers. And if you haven't already done it, make sure you're implementing export to CSV and whatever product you're working on. Yeah, I mean, I think I think uh, export to CSV is worth like five to twenty pixels uh, to the northeast of the magic quadrant. I, I think that's that's gonna that's gonna shift it over there. So definitely, definitely work on that. Well, there's several conferences come up. I'm in Des Moines, Iowa for DevOps Days. I'm speaking on Friday. However, I think it's sold out. Uh, so hopefully you're coming Bad. if if possible. <laughs> I'm also going to be at uh, StackConf in Berlin on September uh, 13th, SRE Day in London on September 14th, and then Shift in Croatia, uh, um, uh, I don't know, the week after that. Uh, and of course, there's a KubeCon in North America uh, in Chicago, or is it Detroit? Chicago, right? That's Chicago. November 6th, 6th to 9th. And uh, we're a media sponsor, and Matt Ray will be there uh, you know at, at the very least. And if you're not going there, you could find me in Barcelona at VMware Explore. And then there's that conference in Texas in January. I don't know if there's CFPs open, but uh, I hear I hear it's a uh, a great event there. We also have a lot of spring tours coming up, which I don't think we have uh, documented here and there. But you know, if you're in uh, Amsterdam or London, there's some in October. If you're interested in going to a uh, spring tour, and with that, Brandon, what do you have to recommend this episode? I would like to recommend this week a documentary I, I watched, and it's really maybe for all the the fitness people. Believe it or not, there's a fitness channel in the Software Defined Talk Slack. So this was about uh, a race. It's called the Mid State Mile. The name of it is just one mile. And so the way it works is this is a last man standing race. So they basically everyone runs a mile every 20 minutes for as long as they can. And I guess the mile is has quite a bit of elevation in it, at least at least to me. So this documentary follows. I think they start with just under a hundred runners. And uh, I'll let you watch the whole thing. And then sort of like they follows it until ultimately the race is won. So it was I thought it was just interesting, very interesting in the sense of like it's more about like the people and the mentality of the people than mm-hmm. it is necessarily about like watching people run because there there's nothing really special about what people do to run. But it's I thought the interviews and also like I'm just kind of fascinated with people that like willingly choose to do this kind of stuff. It's sort of like, I don't know. I don't know if it's like, I don't have the gene or like everyone has the gene. So, uh, so if you just want to watch it, it's kind of interesting thing. And I guess, you know, for those that are interested, I think you can like actually register to go run it. So if anyone ever decides to run this, that's software defined talk. I'm going to, we'll send, we'll actually have special t-shirts made for you and oh, yeah. uh, send them to you because that, that would be incredible. So, um, so fun. It was just fun to watch. If you kind of like, it's not so much like, uh, uh, if riveting in the sense of like what happens it's more riveting in the sense of just like wow these are some interesting people and some interesting runners so i don't know matt you may be into it i know you like to run <laughs> no run no I, um, I i'm the practical runner i'm like no i i <laughs> <laughs> the practical runner matt ray's life <laughs> yes. well i think well, the biggest thing i think is interesting about it is like they talk about how much of it's just a mental challenge and i think running is often just a mental challenge right and i think yeah. it's like 
how these people ultimately come to like, you know, I don't know, to convince the mind to do this is like super interesting. And I want someone to like some psychologist to like go write a book on it. It's like David Goggins is like another example of a guy that does a lot of crazy stuff like this. Like I want someone to go figure out like, like how do people decide to do this? Like who are they? So it's, it's interesting. So check it out. Check it out if you're interested in something to watch. That seems like some pharmaceutical uh, research thing is like we can all push it a little extra further. It's just mental to so take this pill like and to, <laughs> to push it further. Uh, well, how about yourself, Matt Ray? What do you have to recommend? Uh, I, there's a, a series on Amazon Prime uh, called Deadlock. I, I don't know if this showed up in America or not because uh, it's a, a Tasmanian um murder mystery it, it, you know takes place in a little tiny town in, in tasmania uh, mm. written the producers writers were the background's all comedy so it's it's kind of a dark comedy drama murder mystery anyway it started a little slow it's very australian but uh it it finished very well and uh i definitely enjoyed it so wow. deadlock that, that that does sound interesting I, I was thinking you know oh murder in tasmania it could be one of any 15 people <laughs> exactly that's the best part of it that's the best part of it yeah well uh well first of all i forgot one important conference i should mention which is uh, uh kubernetes community day texas october 6th uh it looks like the cfe closes in the past so you can't apply for that <laughs> but you still could uh, attend if you wanted to uh i think it's up in dallas but you should check that out and if you want to get a listing of all those conferences you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com well my recommendation i know i've recommended this podcast before the Tetragrammaton podcast for, with Rick Rubin, but he had an interview with, um, I don't know, the vice chairman of, how do you say it? Olagavi, Olgavia, whatever that big advertising agency is in the UK. Olgavi. And it was just, yes. there mm-hmm. you go. It was like two and a half hours of just delightful nonsense. Like if you, if you enjoy my role in this podcast, you'll love <laughs> this, that other podcast. Cause it was just like, it was even more, a little more manic where it was that, that kind of like British thing. Uh, where the British, it's this Rory guy is British, but he's talking and he doesn't even complete his sentence before he moves on to the next one. Uh, so it's just, uh, it's uh, it's kind of like, a, I never saw this, but in the Fast show, apparently there was like the drunk British guy who would just be like, oh, but I was drunk at the time. Uh, and it's it's almost like that. Um, now, I, I have to warn you, it is full of like pretty much all the stuff. Sounds like it's from the uh, the bullshit world of 2010's TED Talk business books. Uh, so who knows, but also that's kind of the point is it's just like, you know, every now and then you've got to be fucking crazy to be successful and don't forget that, that 10% of the time. Um, I also, I got his book to start reading at alchemy and yeah, it's the same. It's just like, ah, right. Just, (laughs) you know, nudges, cool. Right. Just a bunch of like nonsense bullshit. Uh, but it's fun. It's delightful to read. Uh, well, speaking of things that are uh, fun and delightful to read, but not bullshit at all. Well sprayed down in just the essence. Uh, this has been another episode of Software Defined Talk. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, links of things we talked about and links we didn't talk about in those conferences, uh, the recommendations, you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 431. Uh, and you can get those. Also, you should join our Slack channel. And remember... Uh, anytime you get someone else's phone, go into the Apple podcast app and subscribe to software to find talk podcast for them. Uh, we appreciate it and we'll see yeah. everyone next time. Bye-bye. Goodbye. This is a bit of a, a freakonomics, uh, nudge theory, a book you might hear on the podcast of books could kill is my whole point is that if you feel the need to have Tabasco, you should try fucking harder, right? Like your food should not require being nuked if you're at a hotel. Now, 
if you're serving waffles that are in the state of the shape, the state, uh, the shape of the state you're currently in, sure, I understand. You need to add some flavor. Uh, but if you're just at a regular hotel and you find that you're ordering a lot of Tabasco sauce, you need to figure your shit out. I, I've got to uh, figure out my remote recording situation because this thing I'm using doesn't work. Sound.